0: my first
1: We thank you, Lord, that you're faithful, that you're present. You know, some of us, Lord, have gone a long time without feeling your presence. Some of us knew you, but Joseph forget you. But Lord, there are hearts here who want to be reconciled today, who want to know you better. And Lord, there are others here who are hurting from the loss of a loved one. Some of us are in mourning today, God. But we thank you that you're there in our mourning. Not only are you there, God, but you give us a treat. For our mourning, you give us gladness. For our sorrows, you give us peace. So, Lord, today, if there's anything that we're holding on to that's that's keeping us from experiencing the life that you have for us, help us surrender that today. (laughs) Help us to let go. Let you be God. Help us choose to make you, Jesus, our firm foundation. So our house can stand. So our house can weather the storm. In Jesus' name, Amen. He may be the Church.
2: Good morning. morning. My name is Roland. I'm one of the leaders here. This is Ruby. She stuck to me this morning. We want to welcome you guys to Rethink Church. We're glad you're here. Uh, if you're new or if you've been coming here a couple weeks and haven't gotten a chance to talk with anyone, we would love to talk with you, get to know your name, and uh, just ask you why you chose to come to Refin, um, and possibly help you with your next steps in your, in your spiritual walk. So we're excited you guys are here. Uh, thanks for checking us out today. Um, you guys have been so giving, and with our mission week, uh, Destiny Rescue, we've been able to rescue another child, which is, we're up to two. Uh, and it's pretty amazing, yeah. It's, if you don't follow Destiny Rescue on social media, uh, I would advise you guys to do do so. Check them out, because they post stories that keep us updated on things that are going on. And it's not just uh, rescuing children and people in sex slavery. It's also the people that are the cause of it, like the pimps. And there's stories of Uh, Pips being rescued and being redeemed and finding out what they're doing is wrong and giving their lives to Jesus and And being able to minister to other people who are the cause of what's going on around the world. So it's not just uh, Rescuing people that are victims. We're rescuing people who are also causing this which is pretty amazing Um, Also, we have NTS coming up this summer if you have a student that would like to go to summer camp It's on a college campus, so it's not like in a tent, with <laughs> no showers or bathrooms. Um, it's fun, so if you have any students that would love to go to NTS, that is our uh, summer camp, come talk to me about it, uh, I'll point you in the right direction with how to register and get that all figured out. Um, now that we come to, come on, Dude, <laughs> I was like, how am I gonna hold this mic up, I'm kidding, man. We're coming to our <laughs> offering time, and uh, there's, there's a couple different ways to give offering. There's a black box in the back. Uh, you can also go online to rethink.cc and give that way. Um, but John 3:16, we all, that's, most of us know it, right? God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we learn from the scripture that God is two things. He, he loves and He gives. Because He loves us so much, He gives. And it wasn't just with his life and resurrection. It was, it's every day. Like, we talk about struggles, right? There There are dark times. Things are stolen from us. Things are broken in our lives. Things are destroyed in our lives, taken away from us. But God is good, and he loves us, and he wants to give to us. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but he does. That's who he is. He wants to see us thrive and live and live for him. He gives so much in our lives. And not only that, he wants to give us an eternity with him where we get to live forever in his kingdom and worship and glorify him. He's constantly forever giving. And if we say we love him, (laughs) then that should equal we are also givers, right? You guys are givers. But um, it's also a a mindset and a heart set that we have to continuously work on. There's some days we don't feel like giving, right? <laughs> there's some some days, God, I earned this. This is mine. Yeah. Or God, they don't deserve this. I don't want to give. Yeah. But uh, so it's a it's a constant thing. If we love Jesus and He's our Lord and Savior, just like Angela was talking about last week, if He is our Savior and our Lord, then love and giving equal. So we want to be givers here at Think. We want to give to the kingdom. We want to give to Maryville, Northwest Indiana. Um, And I appreciate you guys giving and having giving hearts. So with that, let's pray and we'll get into our service today. Abba Father, we love you. Uh, Thank you so much (laughs) that when we say we love you, um, we can take steps that also equal giving, God. And that we can be selfless and put ourselves aside and realize that um, this life isn't anything. If it doesn't glorify your kingdom and and bring others closer to you, God, thank you so much that you allow us to be your servants, and I pray that this morning you would help us to have servant hearts, God. Help us to realize that uh, this world needs you, our neighbors need you, Maryville needs you. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds give us wisdom, God, give us strength and encouragement. If there's anyone in this room who feels like their life is being killed, still, or destroyed, I pray that you would... Fight for them, God. Be in their corner. Renew them. Give them strength. Let them know that they're not alone, that they are loved and cared for, and that you are giving to them in their life, God. Uh, Help us this morning in the service. Bless Mark uh, as he brings the word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
3: My name is Mark. i the pastor of our church, and a few years ago, Heather and I, and my our family, we decided, hey, let's move to Northwest Indiana, where you know no one. And I think I told you this. Ironically, like two or three years in, we realized I'm allergic to the air of Northwest Indiana. I'm like, that's awesome. So that's great. So here we are, and welcome to allergy season, right? So fun times. So. Today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're going to pick up right around 14, somewhere in there, and then we'll carry it into the next part. So if you want to get to that and your Bibles turn to it, however you want to get there, that's where we're going to be. Um, and so what I'm going to point out to you, though, is this. I'm going to—normally, I find, like, one main point, and then I'm like, hey, let's drive it home. Today, I found, like, two or three, and then I'll put a bow on it at the end. How about that? So um, we'll see how this plays out. But I'm not going to do—I uh, have a friend who's— going through schooling to be a pastor and then he's pastoring the church at the same time so it's kind of cool that he gets to like put it in practice what he's learning unless it's wrong information like his past the professor is teaching him how to preach saying this is the I mean you probably heard this in public speaking class tell them what you tell them tell them and then to, tell them what you just told them like remember that phrase in public school and was like don't listen to anything that pastor that professor says it's horrible would you ever go watch a movie that did that? Probably not. Would you read a book that did that? The sermon's the same way. So I told him, respectfully, ignore that professor. He's probably not put in their practice for 50 years, right? So, not that I'm all-knowing and all that, but I was just like, that's not anything that you should actually practice. So here's the deal, when we look at passages like this, the reason we teach through the scriptures is we wanna look at Jesus through these lenses of the scriptures. It's not so we have more Bible knowledge, it's so that we can see Jesus more clearly, right? We want to be more like Jesus if we're following Jesus. So in order to understand parts of the scripture, though, we need to pull in some of the context of the scriptures, and then it kind of like goes from black and white to color, in my opinion. So I'm going to give us some context, and then we're going to read the passage. Uh, actually, let's just read the passage. We won't give you the context. See if it clears, like, and clarity. So this is the great thing of not having, like, you don't know what I'm going to tell you.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> I just get to
3: say whatever I want to say up here, and you're like, cool, that's awesome. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, When John the Baptist was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And the um, the time has come, he said, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repenting meaning. If I'm walking this way and God's like, Hey, I need you to go this way, I don't just keep walking that way. I stop and I turn around and I pursue Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Very simple. So, um, and believe the good news. Verse 16, Jesus was walking along the, sea, the side of the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting them into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, they said. And Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets and they followed him, verse 19, then Jesus went a little bit further. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father zebedee and the boat and the hired men and they followed him so let's put some context clues together and we'll see if this makes a little bit more sense because jesus is not a jedi mind trick this is not like these are not the toys you're looking for this is not what's going on here okay what's really going on here is some different things that we don't see outside of the outside of the context here so in america we have an education system right we follow this education system. We have kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, and then we go to college, or we go to life after high school type stuff, all that fun stuff, right? Well, in the same Jewish mindset, they had the culture of an education system as well. And so you can have the argument of American systems work or not. I really don't care what your opinion is. We have a system that works ish, right? So there's that. So the Jewish mindset, they had the system, and it was layer upon layer upon layer. The end goal of the jewish mindset for all fathers especially was that their sons would be a rabbi right that was the mind mindset of the jewish people that they wanted the people, they wanted their sons to be the the rabbi who could teach the scriptures with authority to teach them people how to actually follow the way of god think about that that's their end goal that's what they want okay so at the age of five the jewish boys and the jewish girls would go to the synagogue and they would learn the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was their, cult, that was their, their curriculum and everything. And so, when we say the words student or something like that, because English, have been told, is a noun-based language, we don't put action-oriented things to it. A Jewish mindset is a verb-based language, and so they put action steps to those words. Does that make sense? So we think nice, fluffy thoughts, they think action steps okay so a student of the the torah or whatever they had these ideas that they were going to experience the torah they weren't just going to memorize the torah now at the end of the, this time at age 10 they have these things memorized all five books of the bible memorized word for word right now with that in mind they didn't just say here's it here it is they got to experience it so the first day of school the rabbi the synagogue leader or whatever would have honeycombs kind of all throughout the benches. So when you sat down, the students would sit down and eat the honey, and the rabbi would teach them, the synagogue leader would teach them, maybe find the Word of God as sweet as the honey that you're eating right now. If that's how we're taught about the Word of God, we're probably going to approach it a little bit differently than God's going to smoke you, right? Like that's, some of us may approach it that way, and like, Ooh, I don't know about that. But if we can learn how to see the Word of God as so sweet and God is loving and God cares for us, then we're gonna approach his word a little bit differently. So, first five books in the Bible, they're memorized by the age of 10, then all of a sudden, the best of the best will move on. Only like one to 2% of those students move on. Everyone else goes home and they learn the trade of their father. So if you're a craftsman, you're gonna be a craftsman. If you're a fisherman, you're gonna be a fisherman. If you're a banker, you're gonna learn how to be a banker. If you're a tent banker, all of that. The next round was the age of 10 to probably around 14, 15 years old. And you learn the entire Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. So Genesis through Malachi. But then, more importantly, you also learn the art of asking good questions. Now, when you see this in the scriptures that Jesus is asking question then he asks more questions. He's not being rude, he's being a good Jew. Hmm. That's how this whole culture. Now, if you wanted a conversation to end, all you do is give a very blunt answer. And that—that that was basically saying, "I'm done having a conversation with you," without saying, "Shut up." Does that make sense? Like, so when you see Jesus one time, gives a very clear answer, he's pretty much done having a conversation with that person. Which happens in the scriptures. You can see it. Read it yourself. Let's we'll have a conversation over coffee later about it. So that's what—that's what they're learning from the age of ten to about fifteen. Okay. Now, after that, the best, of the best, of the best will move on. And they become just a Talmudin, a rabbi, uh, sorry, a disciple of a rabbi. They don't get to just make themselves a disciple, though, they have to go through the interview process. So, they would go to a disciple, and during that last part of that process, they're learning the kind of different disciples, or sorry, the rabbis, and their yokes, and their teachings, and their applications, and stuff like that. And so, because you have situations, and then you have these different parts of the Torah that need to get applied differently, Rabbis had a yoke, a way of teaching, saying, "My way of yoke is saying that this situation requires that this passage gets applied to this one before the other passage." Does that make sense? So, for example, if your neighbor's donkey falls into a pit on the Sabbath, which which commandment do you follow—to love your neighbor or to honor the Sabbath? And so, each rabbi had different ways of applying that. And so, because of that, you want to be a good student. You're asking good questions. You're doing all this stuff. You're starting to pick up on this rabbi has this way of teaching this rabbi i don't like that one so i'm just going to avoid him so when you wanted to go on and be the best of the best you would ask to the rabbi can i be your disciple and like a good rabbi he would ask you more questions and if you ask better questions then at one some point he would say a phrase to you come follow me so then for 15-ish years you're following this rabbi and by the age of 30 then you step into your own way of being a rabbi and then You basically go back and you teach in a synagogue you're teaching word of god at times you're doing all this other stuff but if you did not make the cut you went home and you learned the family trade the the majority of people were just learning family trades. they knew scriptures they knew the way they they knew the, the way of applying certain passages and they knew all this stuff they knew how to ask good questions but they were not successful in a sense majority of them went back and they started learning the ways of their family trade and stuff like that So then a very few percentage of people went on to do this, to be a rabbi. And then a very small few percentage went on to the next level was a a rabbi with shiha, with authority, who could say, you've heard it said before, said it before like this, but I tell you another way of doing this. A new way of applying the scriptures based on the Hebrew language of the scriptures and stuff like that. And so only a few percentage of people like this. My friend Brad Brad Gray, uh, he has a way of describing like this, he played basketball, I was never meant for basketball, so we're just gonna use um, his analogy because it makes a little bit more more sense. The first level, which is best effort, that five to 10-year-old range, that's like making your middle school basketball team. You should probably do that. I got cut in fifth grade, so that should tell you my basketball skills. I was told you can't punch people on the basketball court. I didn't know. So, <laughs> Bet Talmud, which is like making your high school basketball. That's that 10 to 15-year range. That's like making your high school basketball range, uh, team. Bet Midrash, which is becoming like a Talmud uh, is college, making college basketball. And then moving on to that, that's like making an NBA player. Uh, if you became a rabbi, that's like becoming an all-star basketball player in the NBA. And a, a rabbi with authority is like a hall of Famer. There's not a whole lot of them. Right? There's only a handful that Jesus, in Jesus' this time, that was referred to that, that, okay? So, when we say the word disciple, what we're actually putting in, what we have to kind of put in our context clues or lenses, is understanding that they are literally going to follow that rabbi around everywhere. There's some in the, in the Mishnah, which is the second century thing, uh, piece of literature, they said that the disciples would actually follow the rabbi to the bathroom i'm not following anyone <laughs> that closely but they wanted to know if they prayed a prayer to go to the bathroom they wanted to do just that no thank you right that's your space you have your own space I'll need my space how about that right but they wanted to have this understanding okay <clears throat> in the ancient language in the outside the ancient world there's this higher that we just don't necessarily get There's rabbi and disciple, there's slave owner and slave, there's citizen and non-citizen, there's Roman soldiers and the people being accumulated into the the Roman soldiers, like we talked about when we were in Ephesians. There's men and then there's women. What Jesus is doing is saying, okay, everybody expects certain people to be called into the kingdom. I'm just gonna eliminate those boundaries. What were were Peter and Andrew doing? They're fishing. Because they were fishermen. We've had this phrase around, and the first time I heard it was this lady named Christine Kane. She said about 20 years ago. She's probably not the first one to say it, but a lot of pastors claim that they came up with it. They didn't. They're just lying to you. But um, there's this phrase that says that Jesus never uh, calls the qualified. He qualifies the called. It's not my original don't think, oh, Mark said this. No, I did not. I said I didn't come up with it. How about that? So... I'm just quoting other people. Other people have said this. Here's the deal. Jesus does not care that they're not in certain levels. At some point, we recognize they know scriptures and they know they know how to ask good questions because you see that throughout the Gospels, but they're not the top of the class, are they? At some point in their existence, they've dropped out of the whole education system and they started to learn the family trade because they were fishermen. The same is true for John and for uh, James, the sons of Zebedee. Does that mean that they, God can't use them? So I don't know about you, but I do know this, that God has called you to do something. And you probably don't feel qualified. And you're not. Walking to my heart well and informing like like the heart's real bitter pattern about my words and all that. You're not qualified. And whatever God has called you to, it should be a little overwhelming. Does that mean you don't do it? No. What that means is you partner with God. You probably have something burning desires, challenge, whatever you want to call it inside of you, and you, if you were really honest about this, you'd whisper it because it scares you. Right? And that's the truth. But here's the deal. God wants to work with you to accomplish whatever that is. But if you're not willing to at least step in and follow Him, then he can't use you remember the transforming the community transforming yourself like all this not that you transform yourself but allowing god to transform you as a partnership yeah. that without god we can't but without us he won't and so we have to be willing to follow him what does it look like to follow jesus to be with jesus to be like jesus and to do the things that jesus does if we're not willing to do that and all we said is oh you said we're good prayers 15 years ago but my lifestyle has never changed then are you really following jesus or do you just say nice words because at some point your life should change over the course of the following him you should learn what it looks like to be with jesus you should learn how to be what does it look like to be like jesus and all of that In verse 21 it says this that jesus and, and his companions went into these places, right? His disciples, his companions, however you want to describe it, and all of that. One of the things that I start looking through when I'm looking through the passages of Scripture to preach on is what is the text saying and why is the text saying that? Not just do I understand it, but why did did Mark put this in there? And so I believe that Mark is one of the earliest manuscripts of Jesus' life most people believe that mark was written and then it inspired matthew and then luke uses mark's description to do this as he's writing for this guy new theophilus and he writes Luke as well so all of this is in there now if you've heard if you've been around the world the church world you've heard this phrase of apocalypse apocalyptic literature most people don't put mark as one of the apocalyptic literature passages most people say ezekiel isaiah daniel revelation stuff like that because it's revealing something. The word apocalypse just simply means to reveal. I think Mark is actually a piece of apocalyptic literature because he's revealing the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom of God look like? Especially when you think about the original audience of Mark. The Roman Christians sitting together in the face of persecution in the mid 60s from this guy named Nero who liked to burn Christians to light up his gardens. And now they're saying hey here's this new kingdom on the scene and this is what the kingdom looks like he doesn't serve his own agenda he's using people in a sense of restoring people not just using people for his own agenda and stuff like that but he wants to bring us along and it's not just about what he says but he's inviting others to do it so when he when the Bible says that they went into this means that Jesus is choosing to use humans to go through this life with us not just to be around us but to be with us as well and this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like it's this reality that if we don't like the world we see around us that there is an option that we could do life differently that we could follow his agenda we could live the life that we see in the sermon on the mount this is the, the kingdom manifesto in a sense that as we do this what we get to see is okay there's a whole different way of life Instead of like these barriers or something like that, what if we just eliminated the barriers? What if we actually stepped across the aisle, in a sense, and got to know somebody else? What would it look like to really love your neighbor the way that Christ loved them? What would it look like to extend grace the way that Christ extended grace to you? And what would it look like if we actually did this and did it together? And not just simply said, well, yeah, I had to go to church, I pray a prayer, but to actually live this out. And by the way, there is no plain me for Jesus. His way, his method, is not a fancy uh, social media campaign. It's humans sharing the good news about Jesus with other humans. No pressure, but you're it. And so am I, right? So if you want to see your family change, you should change yourself. If you want to see your community change, you should change yourself. If you want to see your school change, you change yourself. If you want to see your workplace change, Allow Jesus to change you, and then to work through you. But it's a partnership. It's not this one thing. So, all he says is, come follow me, and people drop their nets, and they literally start following him. Because all of a sudden, he believes in them more than they believe in themselves. And the same is true for us. I think Jesus probably believes in you and I more than we ever believe in ourselves. And you need to know that, Right? And jesus steps in as a rabbi with authority to do this and uh because of what we saw in the last pa- the last passage of the baptism where the sky is torn open and all this this is his uh, commissioning service for to, to become a rabbi with authority a rabbi with and he's stepping in and now he's calling the disciples to follow him and all this there's a um a fifth century church father's name is saint Jerome. And he says the land is the fifth gospel that if you understand the land you understand the gospel a little bit clearer, and the message of jesus a little bit clearer where exactly is jesus walking when he's doing this he's walking along the sea of galilee right the sea of galilee we're going to put some pictures up here um and so the first picture is just going to be a nice little simple map To show you what we're talking about when jesus is there so you have the mediterranean sea to the west you have the jordan river the sea of galilee the jordan river again and then the dead sea and then you have these deserts of the modern day uh syria and all that and the jordan area so the sea of galilee is a violent place storms and stuff like that you have this hot air from the east mixing with the, the western mediterranean sea air it's a perfect place for all these nice little storms to happen the Sea of Galilee is full of life. It's 13 miles north and south, seven and a half miles east west. And if you can kind of see, it's like sitting right there, it's a nice little perfect area. It's a freshwater sea, so it's not really a sea, it's just a big pond, or a big lake, maybe, or a pond, depending on what you think about it. So, but for thousands of years, a fishing community and a fishing like the economy is just like around it. This is how they live, right? And so you have the jordan river that just starts at the starts a dance that's where you by and stuff like that you have these beautiful sunsets and stuff like that and it's full of life when we were there we got to watch these birds migrate from uh africa up into europe and they chose not to fly over the mediterranean sea but just to sail across the land and they would just flock and fly all over these places and stuff like that birds that we've never seen before because i didn't look there i was just supposed to visit does that make sense So, it was an amazing time to see this. So, you see the the Jordan River. It pulls into the Hula Basin first, and then goes into the the Sea of Galilee, and then it exits out of there. For 65 miles, the Jordan River's there, and then it goes into the Dead Sea. The Jordan River, in the Hebrew is Yarden, which means the descender. It's going from the high place down into the lowest place on earth on land. The Sea of Galilee sits at 700 feet below sea level, The Dead Sea sits at 1,350 feet below sea level. And it is just pooling all this water. And because of it, it's called the Dead Sea because nothing lives, it's all dead there, right? So you have these two very distinct pieces of water but have the same water source. How can the Sea of Galilee be fresh water and have so much life there, but the Dead Sea is dead and has so much salt? And the reason it has so much salt, think about this. In the oceans, we have 3 to 6% salt percentage. And then in the Dead Sea, you have 36% salt. Like when I floated, when I didn't swim in there, I was floating in it. You can't really like swim. They tell you not to go under the water um, because it'll like literally burn your eyes. And I, I made the accident of shaving my head the day before and then got into it. I didn't know we were going to the Dead Sea, so I would put it like that, but it was crippling, I'll put it that way. So, and one of the biggest causes of death is people literally drowned in the, in the Dead Sea. They these old people, they go out at like 5 a.m. and they spend all day out there baking in the sun, and then they roll over, and they, can't, they don't have no strength to roll back over. So there's lifeguards everywhere in the Dead Sea doing this. I was like, why are there lifeguards here when there's, like, you can't bounce, you literally can't go under the water, you bounce, like, you bounce right back up, and that's why. They get so dehydrated in, in there. And so, because of this, they just started having these fascinations, of, of this, like, understanding, what's going on here? Why is it so dead? Why is there so much salt content in all this? If the, if the Jordan River's fresh, if the Sea of Galilee's fresh, how can the Dead Sea have so much salt? And then my uh, tour guide's name was Yehuda. And he he was just blunt. He was more blunt than I am, even. And it was almost offensive to me. But (laughs) he was like, don't you know geology? And I was like, obviously not. I mean, I did like rocks and jocks and stuff like that. Just like, you know, earth science. That was my way of going for college credit. And he was like, stupid American. And I was like, awesome. (laughs)
0: Like,
3: but what he explained was the Dead Sea has no outlet. It just pools all the water. The Sea of Galilee has water coming in and water going out, leading to something bigger than itself. And when we get blessed, one of the main things we need to understand is that blessing is not meant for you. Be more like the Sea of Galilee, allow the blessings to flow through you. That when God says, hey, come follow me, and he starts blessing you in your own life, don't hold on to those blessings. Imagine if Jesus goes through the events that we talked about last week, the baptism, and he's like, Man, the sky tore open. This voice came booming out saying, He loves me. He, he, like, I should, like, I've not done anything, but He loves me. He cares for me and all this. And this guy named John the Baptist says, I, like, I'm unworthy of you and would tie your shoes. Imagine if Jesus goes on and is like, Man, I can't wait to, like, really get my business to the next level.
0: Hmm.
3: I can't wait for all these people to recognize how great of a craftsman that I am. So I can get that second donkey, so I can buy that extra saw, mm-hmm. so I can have this house addition. Right? Like, imagine we would never be this. We would never get blessed by God and have words of affirmation around us and be like, look how good I am. Mm-hmm. That would never happen to us, I'm sure. But it could. What if we thought we were blessed to hold on to the blessing? And here's what I want us to understand based on just simply the land alone. When you do that, you start living in death. You start dying a little bit more. And Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. And the only way that that happens is that when we allow the blessings to not just impact us, but to also flow through, them, through us. The reason we have communion elements, and if you don't have communion elements, just raise your hand and we'll get them to you here in a little bit. The reason we're doing this is I want us to have a reminder that this life is not about us. That this life is truly about being blessed by jesus so that we can bless others around us on and russell are going to come up and they're going to lead us in this one song and i hope this becomes your prayer as we get ready for communion that we want to recognize the fact that the life that we have is being blessed by god but also to be a blessing to other people i'm going to pray and then we're going to move on with the service Jesus, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are. God, our you just watch over us and guide us. And as we get ready to celebrate communion with you, that we we'll would be reminded of the sacrifice.
1: The sacrifice
3: you gave, the sacrifice you
0: offered to us, Lord.
3: That you did not live this life based on just what you wanted and what was good for you that you lived this life based on what would be willing better for others to follow your kingdom and your kingdom you
0: got who we model that in our own lives we love jesus